This is a, a, an amazing passage. There's just so much stuff in it that, uh, that we're going to get to. But the line that caught me is that very last one that Doug read, that I may attain resurrection from the dead. Truth under that is we are mortal beings, meaning we will die. Death is a part of our condition. Uh, and yet, there's something in us that wants, seeks after, desires immortality. It's like we rebel in our very being against that mortality. And the older we get, the more it bothers us because we, we, we feel the mortality spreading in. Um, in our current times, there are more efforts to, to extend life or even seek a never-ending life than ever before. Billions of dollars. I even saw someone said seven trillion. I, I don't know where they got that number, but billions are being spent on life extension research. Not just normal medical technology, but research to address why it is that we get older, why it is that we have a limited lifespan. It seems that there are a bunch of uh, uh, people that made fortunes in tech in their younger years, in the last 20 years or so, and now they're starting to feel their mortality, so they're dumping their money into all this medical research, into ways that they can live longer. I saw a, a, a thing, there's a Methuselah Foundation. Methuselah was the oldest living person, the Bi- person in the Bible that lived the longest. And, and so they said, we would like to make replacing biological parts as easy as replacing parts in a modern car. They have all these strategies that they're trying to, to develop um, to, to, to live longer. And so it's, it's a, uh, another quote from one of the leaders in this, this movement is from Aubrey de Grey. And he says, Just as a vintage car can be kept in good condition indefinitely with periodic preventative maintenance, so there's no reason why, in principle, the same can't be true of the human body, thanks to Grey. We are, after all, biological machines, he says. So there's a truth in that. We are biological machines. Now we as those of, of, who believe in God know that we're, we're more than that too, but, but there's a truth in that. So why not? Why couldn't, with all the technology we have, why can't we make it so that we can live ever long? And we do. Our lifespans have gotten longer than in days past. Um, there's one guy that uses a, a wealthy guy that has spent $30 million just a year for himself on, on things that will help him live longer. One of, one of it is he has a 17-year-old son. He gets blood transfusions from his 17-year-old. I guess there's something about uh, they've, research they've shown that getting blood from someone in younger in their prime actually helps you live longer. That seems a bit... I, I see a lot of you like, really? Yeah. Um, then, but it even goes further. There, there's, a, a, there's a new term out called transhumanism. And it's this idea that with, 
with robotics and computers and all the new technologies is we can access that to live longer. That will become more than human. Here's a, a quote. Uh, it says, ultimately, by merging man and machine, science will produce humans who have vastly increased intelligence, strength, and lifespans. A near embodiment of, of the gods. Merging with machines. There's even talk about downloading your mind to a computer or robot. The idea that you can take what you are and put it inside a machine someday, and that's how we'll live forever. I have a feeling if, even if some of this takes off, will it be for everyone or just the billionaires, right? That this, is this going to be an option for Joe Schmo? Um, there's some that are betting a lot on this. One other movement in this thing, cryogenic freezing. And I believe this comes down to, like, instead of being buried, they have their body quickly frozen, trusting that technology will continue to, to go up and up and up, that someday it'll be such that they will be able to be healed of whatever killed them. And so they're holding on to their bodies in cryogenic freezing until that day. We're seeking, there are those seeking after immortality some way to live, at least if not forever, at least a super extended lifetimes. Our passage today talks about by some means, can we attain, or attain something like this resurrection from the dead? Can we or attain mortality? And the thing is, we were meant for it. If you go back in the Scriptures, Genesis 2, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the first two human beings... They lived there. Now, I don't believe they had immortality in and of their own bodies. It wasn't that they would never die. They were not given immortality then. But it says they had access to the tree of life. In that garden, there was one tree that if they would eat from it, they would, could live perpetually. Um, now, the thing about that is they would also, they were in... in Eden, they were right with God, they could walk with God, they were in this right relationship with the God who created them, and the idea being that they would live forever with God. But we know, because of the first sin, that, that human beings, Adam and Eve, chose to do the thing that God told them not to do, and that they weren't ready for, that God had not intended for them at least yet, and by doing that, they chose to go their own way, they chose to disobey their creator, and it says then they lost access to the tree of life. The pictures from Adam and Eve being evicted from the Garden of Eden. It says we can't get back. There's an angel with a sword guarding it. Um, in, in that time, in Genesis 3, that talks about this, it says God spoke to Adam and said, you were made from the dust, and so to the dust you shall return. That applies to not only Adam and Eve, but everyone since. From the dust we were made, our bodies are composed biologically machines of you know, products, and, and to dust we, re, we will return. Death became part of the human condition. If you go back in Genesis, it seems like these people, though, even though 
they were set to die, they lived extremely long lives. Methuselah, over a thousand. Adam lived over a thousand years. And, and then, but at one point, God noticed how those long lives are actually just enabling people to do more evil. And so in Genesis 6, he sets an upper limit. That the lifetime of man will now be limited to 120 years. And in our rec- historical records, I believe someone lived to be 122. But that seems to be pretty much the upper limit to how long we now live. But even then, that's way definitely the upper limit. The, the, the better estimate in Psalm 90, this is the psalm I've been reading this week. Let me read this from, from verse 9. It says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. Meaning we are now at odds with God. Right? We're not rightly related as Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. All our days pass away in that condition. We bring our years to end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble they are soon gone and we fly away. That captures it, doesn't it? 70, 80, maybe 90 nowadays. Maybe even 100 if we're really long-lived. And yet, and then the end of our years, it ends with a sigh. That is unless we die in some accident. Then it dies with a scream. Right? It's, it's either you get a scream or a sigh at the end. I, I, one of the comedians I heard says, every hot dog you eat takes 30 minutes off your life. I'm pretty sure I've lost several weeks at this point. But he says it's, it's, it's no big deal. It only takes it off the end. You know, like that's the bad part anyways. Don't, so don't worry about it. Um, yeah, and, but there's, isn't there something in us that's like, we want more. We don't want it to end. Unless what happens usually is, is things do get so limited at the end, and then we, we get to the point of, you know, well, with all the pains and aches and that, or the limitations of life, then, then we don't mind it as much. We're ready for the end. But, but still, in our hearts, there's more. And Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He set eternity in our hearts. We don't want it to end. We don't want our relationships with one another to be temporary. Right? We, 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 we want the happily ever after type of ending for us and for those that we love. We long for Eden. When we're young, it may feel like we live forever, but we start to see relationships like people that we know um, sometimes by tragic accident or older ones that we love. And then the older and get, we more and more feel our mortality and that sense of, man, this is not the way it should be. I think those tech guys who made so much money with whatever app they made and that, they're feeling that. And they think somehow, you know, I was smart enough to create PayPal or whatever. I, I'm certain... We can, you know, I can apply my great genius and we can figure out how to live forever. We try to reach immortality by human effort, human technology, whether it's health issues, 
Sometimes we know that that's not an option. So you, there's other ways of trying to, to, in a sense, reach for immortality. Sometimes you do it by making a name for yourself. Right? If, I, if I'm well known, then it, it's, you know, people will know me down through the ages. I'll be famous. Sometimes we try to do it through our family. In certain cultures, there's this idea of the ancestor worship that, that as long as someone's alive, they will keep my memory, they will keep me alive in their memory. As, so, as long as one of my descendants can remember me and they'll, they'll do this, this worship. And I think we kind of have our own version of that at times in the West. And then there's others who give up, who give in to despair and live it up. And they, they say, I know I'm not going to live forever. Let's just go out in a blaze of glory. Live it up for the here and now. But that sense of our mortality affects how we live, how we, how we approach our life now. What I want to say today, what I think our passage is saying, is we cannot achieve immortality or what we might call eternal life through human effort. But there is a path. God did create a way that we can have this this eternal life, this immortality, and he did it through his one and only son that he sent to us, Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to hear today. There is a way to live forever. Jesus, when, in one of his prayers in John 17, it says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He sent his son, that in him... By knowing Him, we can have eternal life. The very thing our hearts crave and desire. So coming to our passage, Paul wants to remind, he wants to reiterate this truth, this gospel message to the Philippian church. And he starts off by saying, you know, I know I'm saying the same things again, but it's no trouble for me. And moreover, it is a safeguard for you. He wants to make sure they, they don't get off track on this because they're hearing other voices in their culture saying there's other ways to immortality other than, other than the gospel message. I think part of what's spurring it, if we go back to last week, right at the end of chapter 2, Paul talks about the Epaphroditus who the Philippians had sent to help him. And it says he had become ill and nearly died for the work of Christ. So he's talking about how Epaphroditus nearly died. And then that leads into this conversation about how, how can we attain immortality, eternal life? How do we make sure that we have that? So saying, we don't need to worry if illness does take us because we, we can get a hold of this eternal life. And it is a safeguard for you to understand this. Because others are proposing different ways. So that, that's verse 1. Verse 2, Paul tells them to watch out for those alternative pathways. He, he says three things that they're to watch out for, to beware. Watch out for the dogs, the workers of evil, and the mutilators of the flesh. That sounds like he's talking about season 2 of Stranger Things. I, I, like I, it sounds like a, a, the Dogs and mutilators of flesh. What, what is he talking about here? No, it's actually a situation that was going on in the church at that time. 
in, that Paul was dealing with in his ministry. He's talking, he, refer, he barely references here. He keeps it really short. Actually, Galatians, the whole letter of Galatians was written addressing this. And what's the issue? So Paul had gone to, to Greek and Roman cities proclaiming the message of Christ that by trusting in Christ, they could have eternal life. Right? That's the gospel message, the good news, that, that Jesus died for our sins. And that by trusting in him, we are forgiven of our sins. We're received back into right relationship with God. And we can know God and walk with him. We, we can be declared sons and daughters of God. And if, if, if you're here this morning and maybe you've, you've never heard that before, maybe the Lord led you, this may be the first thing you need to under, hear and understand. That is what we call the gospel. It's the good news that God made a way of eternal salvation by giving us Jesus, and Jesus gave his life. And if we trust in him, we put our faith in him, then we have life with him forever. And that offers here today. You could say yes to that. You could pray in your pew um, and ask God, Lord, I want to trust my life to your son Jesus. If you need to know more about that or if you want to take that step, I'd be happy to talk with you or one of our other leaders or elders or someone you know. Um, but that, so that's the gospel message that Paul is reiterating. All right, I got off that. But so Paul had gone around telling that message. So he knows the Philippians know it because that, that's the core thing of what he had shared when he started the church there. But what has happened is others came by afterwards and said, no, 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 trusting Jesus is not quite enough. That's great. That's a great first step. What you really need to do, though, is now you need to begin to follow the Old Testament law that God gave to the Jewish people. Right? Christ is good and all that, but what you really need is the law. And included in the law is circumcision for the men, where God gave this ritual marking of, that deals with the, the very personal private parts of men and removing a section of flesh uh, in that area. That was, that's what marked the Jewish people as belonging to God. They're saying, okay, if you want to be part of the people of God, you've got to have that done too. And that's why Paul says they're mutilators of the flesh. And he says they're workers of evil because they're following after Paul who's convinced these, these, these Greeks and Romans to trust in Christ and, and enter into eternal life. They're coming in after him and saying, hey, that's not enough. Jesus, won't, Jesus can't get you there. You need the law. He says it's like they're trying to undo the good work that he's done. So they're workers of evil and, and Paul just gets mad. He says, they're dogs, right? He's, he's like, he, the, the, the man who's like the, who can't, went proclaiming the gospel of grace, he could get worked up because he saw the damage this was doing. Um, so he, he called them, he called these workers of evil dogs. In Galatians 5, he goes further. He basically says, I wish they would cut the whole thing off. Like, so, so Paul could get worked up over this. And he's saying, that's why, I, you know, I want, I want you to make sure that you, we are putting no confidence in the flesh. That's what they're doing. They're mutilating. Um, we cannot achieve immortality through these acts of the flesh. We cannot achieve rightness with God by human effort. So Galatians 5, it says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Right? This, 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 this human effort, this working in the flesh won't do it. It's only faith that works, works, out, works itself out through love. 
right? Circumcision, religious rituals won't get you there. It's by faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God applying that to our hearts. And he's, he's echoing what Jesus said. Jesus had a conversation with a, a woman from Samaria who says, well, you Jews say we don't worship in the right temple. We have our temple. You have your temple. How, how can you and I even be talking about the same thing? And Jesus says, woman, understand, um, the, the, the day is coming. In fact, that day is now here. Then you will no longer worship in this temple or that temple. The, the worshipers God seeks worships in spirit and in truth. Right, so, so that's, that's what Paul is echoing in these passages. So in verse 3, he says, it's we who are the circumcision. And what does he mean by that? He means God had done this work, not in our, our where they do a circumcision. He's done it in our inner being by his Holy Spirit. That's, we've been circumcised in the heart by God's Holy Spirit. Because that's how we worship God, and and we worship by the Spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus. We do not put our confidence in the flesh. We do not try to achieve immortality through human effort, because we know it's a it's a fool's errand. And and how does Paul know it's a fool's errand? Because he tried it. He says, if anyone thinks they have reason to put their trust in the flesh, it's me, right? I have more more reason to do that than anyone else. And then he lists his, his, his legacy, that, or like how he had done that. It says, I, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which is the appropriate day for that to happen when you're a baby, according to the Old Testament law. So his parents followed the right procedure. He was of the people of Israel, meaning he would be eligible for the promises given to Abraham. He says, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. Now, in Israel, there were 12 tribes. Ten of them rebelled against the tribe of Judah, who had the king in Jerusalem. Only one tribe stuck with the king. That was Benjamin. So he's saying, I'm of the tribe that stayed faithful to to the king to the God's anointed one in Jerusalem. Um, so so that, that's me. Since I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, Paul, though Paul's his Greek name, Saul's his Hebrew name, Saul studied the culture and language of the Hebrews. Right? He, is a, he trained as a rabbi so he could speak Hebrew. He knew how to read it. He, he would have had the Hebrew laws nearly memorized. He, he knew it all. He was fully of, of Hebrews. And then he says, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were this ultra-strict group, um, rigorous in application of the law. He says, I, I as a Pharisee kept what was in God's law. I did it. In fact, he goes on to say, when, when it comes to the law, I was blameless. Right? No one could point out to me where I had strayed from the law. And he says, and, and you want to know further, like, you, you want me to prove how zealous I was for it, how much I was willing to fight for this? I persecuted the church. We know in Acts, he even had a Christian put to death um, for following Christ. He, he went in pursuit of those because he, he at first saw it as all wrong. And, and so, so he, he kind of goes through that. 
And then, and I can imagine, even as Paul wrote this, as he went through this, pausing, and really writing this next line, right, this, this next sentence, and it says, but whatever gain I had from any of that, I now count as loss. Anything that, that seemed like it was, it was all these things that I pursued, now I look back and think that was foolishness. That was loss for the sake of Christ. All the human effort that led him to oppose God, to work against God, to, to work against God since Jesus, all the work he tried to do to achieve a righteousness on his own, it's actually, it's a loss. It's a negative category. It, it was not gain. He says, it's, it's even rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Now, I want you to know, the ESV is being polite in their translation of that word. It, the, the word is scubala. And basically, it's not rubbish it's crap. It's, it's the word that we would, you know, four-letter word. So it, it's, you know, like all that stuff. It's just rubbish. It's crap compared to what I've gained in Jesus Christ. We cannot achieve immortality, human life through human effort, eternal life through human effort, through, through the, the works of the flesh. Whether that is secular engineering, medical engineering, or whether that is through religious good works that somehow earn us a spot in heaven. Both of those will fail. Both of those are putting confidence in the flesh. And we will not do that. It won't get us there. It says instead, we gain Christ and we are found in Him. We gain Christ. We turn to Him and we bring him into our life. But it's not just that side of it. It's also we are found in him. We are placed into him, into, his, into the relationship with him. It says our life is hidden with Christ now. The, the core of who we are, we are already connected spiritually to Jesus Christ. And then because of that, it says we have a righteousness from God, not a righteousness of our own that comes through the law, but a righteousness that is imparted to us by God purely for the simple fact that we put our faith in His Son. It's given to us. Do we always live up to it? Sadly, no. He wants us to live up to it. He gives us that righteousness that we might begin to live up to it. But He gives us that righteousness before we ever got there. He gives us that righteousness when our lives are a mess. Maybe you don't think you're eligible to... To, to respond to Christ. Maybe you look at your life and say, man, I, I've messed up so bad. I've sinned. I've done wrong. I've made bad choices. I'm not eligible. You are. In fact, the only way to be eligible is to know you're messed up enough that you'll say, I can't get there on my own. Jesus, save me. That is how you get there. And so if, you, if you've messed up and you've sinned, you're eligible. And you're eligible. And so you, you say, God, my righteous, I can't do it. I need you. He gives us His righteousness, not of our own, but of Him. And it comes by faith, trusting our life to Christ. And then, what does that look like? It says we know Christ. What does knowing Christ look like? And, and just say, it's not an intellectual belief. It is not just mere assent and knowledge. It says, there's three things it says about knowing Christ. It says, that I may know Him 
and the power of his resurrection. We know that, yes, he died for our sins, but he was made alive again in the resurrection. So we can declare Jesus is Lord. He's alive. He's alive. He's not still dead and in the tomb. He's alive. So, so we know him in the power of his resurrection. We know him by sharing in his sufferings. That means we identify with Christ. We, we, he identified with us by dying for our sins. We now identify with him. I am one of his. I, I follow, follow Jesus Christ. And we do that. We pay the price, whatever it means. Sometimes there is a price to identifying with Jesus. But we share in his sufferings. And then lastly, it says, we become like him in his death. So, knowing Jesus will change your life. That spirit that that comes and does all that work, it will begin to change you. Yet, you may not live up to that righteousness, you know, at the start of things, but he's going to start to work work in you. It's called sanctification. He's beginning to shape you so that you are becoming more and more like Christ. We want to know him in the power of his resurrection. The, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, and we want to become like him. Friends, do you have this? Do you want it? And then, the end result, verse 11, where, where, kind of where we started, that by any means, some means, it may be possible to attain resurrection from the dead. This is the path by which we gain immortality. We gain eternal life. But note how it happens. It's not that we are made immortal and so we don't die. It's that we die and we are raised back to life again. When he gives us eternal life, the, the word is in eternal is eon, in Greek. And it has to do with the word age. Another way to say that eternal life is life into the next age. So we do, we do face death. We, we won't live for, unless we happen to be alive when Jesus returns, um, which is possible. But, but if not, for, for Christians throughout the ages, they've died. Their bodies are in the ground. Their spirits are with Christ. They're, they're at peace in Christ. But the day will come when our bodies will be raised again, just as Jesus was raised. That is the plan. He lets us die. To dust, from dust we were made, to dust we will return. But what he will do is he will take that dust and bring it back to life. Refashion us, reform us. Uh, Romans 8.11 talks about this. as, as if, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. God's spirit is capable of recollecting the dust, refashioning it into cells and and that function and re-imparting life again. There's no way we could do that by technology or anything else. We cannot create life, but the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, is able to do that and the good news is when he does it, it says it, he will then make us immortal, impaired. We won't, we won't then die again after that, right? He, he, will re, he will change biology so that then 
we can live with God forevermore in that eternal kingdom. Whatever it takes, what it says God will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or, or crying or pain in that eternal kingdom. One other passage I want to give is, you might say, well, when, when will this happen? When will we be raised from the dead? How, how, when we will attain this? At, at the second coming of Christ. The return of Christ, when he comes to set things right, not just for us, but everything. He comes to renew creation. He comes to, to deal with sin and evil and wickedness and all the junk of this world once and for all. On that day when Christ returns, it'll happen. So 1 Corinthians 15 says, uh, when that happens, it'll happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, becoming like him in his death. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. That is what eternal life is about. That's the plan. And how do we get there? Knowing Jesus Christ, walking with him, learning. This is what we do here at East Glenville. We're learning to love God and love others as we follow Jesus together. We want to know the Savior, know what He's like, know what He's about, and so we want to help each other, encourage each other. This is a place, this is our goal here, to learn how to love God, to follow Him, to follow Christ, and be changed by Him because we want to know Him. We reevaluate everything in our life according to this truth. If this is true, we should, we should reshape our life based around this truth. That's what Paul's saying. He says, what was once gained I now count loss. So we evaluate our life by what will enable us to have that life with him that will last forever. I want to close by telling you about um, a certain guy who, who found out this truth. His name is Joshua Broom. I heard this on the Unbelievable Podcast. I, I'd recommend the Unbelievable Podcast. It, it's uh, one of the one interesting one. I think it's on YouTube. I, I get it on pot, my podcast player. But I heard this one about Joshua Broom as a teenager. He's just one of those good-looking guys, got recruited to be a model. And it says he was doing well as a model. And it got in his head that he should, and he, this was in North Carolina, that he should go become an actor. And he was encouraged in that. So where do actors go? L.A., Los Angeles. And he gets there, and he's doing what actors do while they're waiting to become rich and famous. He was working in a restaurant. <laughs> you know, he had a few little gigs. He was still doing modeling, but it hadn't happened for him yet. And then into his, his restaurant come some adult film stars. And they're attractive, and they, they look at him and say, you know, you should, you should do one of our kind of movies. And, and their agent is with them, and he says, yeah, I can, I can get you in a gig. And so he, you know, the agent said, he offered me money, fame, notoriety, and all the things, all these things. It's like, and that's what he craved. He wanted to make a name for himself. He wanted to be famous. And so he did it. He did it once, felt lousy about it, and never intended to do it again afterwards problem was it went viral and then his agency heard about it and they dropped him says we don't we don't do that kind of stuff 
So he lost his opportunities for other gigs. And others heard, he, he thought it would be no one would know as a, as a pseudonym. But it, it cost him friendships. His mother found out. And he, instead of making it a one-off, he made it a, his thing. He had no choice. And it went well. He became, um, became well-known. Fame of a sort. He won... Uh, he won the one award of the year for the most most top adult male performer of the year, earning a million dollars that year. So he got money, he got fame, the, the agent was right. But he was miserable, he was cut off from many of the relationships that had before been a part of his life, and he just spiraled down. And he got to the point, he was embarrassed, he tried to keep his, his normal life separate, he wouldn't even, he, he wouldn't want to go to the bank to cash the checks because it had the name of the company and he was embarrassed, you know, the teller would see, oh, you know, the thing. So he always cashed it by phone, um, you know, remotely. Well, he decided to end it all. Life was that miserable. And he went to the bank. He had one last check. He says, oh, I might as well cash this. And he didn't have it the ability to, to, to deposit it any other way. So he actually went to the bank and, you know, did it anyways, even though he's kind of embarrassed. He says, I walked into a bank. I was going to deposit this last check. Normally I would do Dropbox or ATM because there was always a memo on the check that says that's what it's for. It was embarrassing, but on this day I didn't care because I was going to end my life anyways. And he was walking away when the teller asked him a question. And she kind of locks eyes with me and says, Joshua, are you okay? Is there anything I could do for you? What she didn't know is no one called him Joshua in his other life. He had a different name in that life. And he had shut himself off from all his friendships. So it had been years since he had heard his own name. And just hearing that name, it says, I was shattered. I couldn't do anything but cry. And instead of ending his life, he called mom. And she said, come home. Went back home to North Carolina. Again, he tried to leave his past behind him, got um, jobs. But it always seemed like someone would recognize him in what he was doing. And, you know, sometimes he'd get fired or just then, then it all, like he, he couldn't keep his past separate. And then he got to know a young woman a little bit, and normally he tried to keep it a secret, and he decided, this time, I'm going to start off this, rela- this, this friendship, hopefully, with the truth. So he decided to come clean with hope. He said, hey, before this goes anywhere, this is how bad of a person I am. This is who I am. And he told her about what he had been doing. And she locked eyes with me and said, well, I don't believe a person is defined by the worst thing they've done, and I don't believe a person is defined by the greatest thing they'll do. And then, then what did she do? Do you know Jesus? Why don't you come with me to church? Do you, have you ever got to know God? And he had had some church background, but nothing significant. And so he accepted her invitation to church with all the doubts that God could forgive him and what he was like. And the story went where you think it goes from there. 
he, he, he finds out that, that Jesus is, is good. And he puts his faith in Christ. Moreover, he becomes a pastor. Goes to Bible college. And he finds that there's a particular ministry because he's able to speak to those who are struggling with, with porn addiction. And those who've, who've had that, that struggle, he can talk about the, the, the devastation that it has upon the people in that industry and how they put on a good face, but in actuality they're, they're heartbroken and miserable. And God, God could, could use him in that. And he came, and he married the young woman um, that, that said that married hope. So he could certainly say, what he once thought was gain, getting famous, he now knows his loss. But he can also say, but I've gained Christ and found what I needed in him. Let's, let's pray as the worship team comes up. Father, I thank you for the good news that through Jesus Christ, we can have life, everlasting, eternal life with you. And, and Lord, I thank you that you let us in not based on how well we've, we've done on our, our righteous deeds, that you, you bring us into your family, into your people, simply by us willing to, to turn to your son. And Father, I thank you that it's not just eternal life we have, but we have this joyous relationship with the God of the universe. And Father, I just want to pray right now that everyone here, um, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, would, would be willing to try that relationship if, and, and say yes to you and experience what it means to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, even the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.